Today, I do want to focus on a passage that most people who have any exposure to church um, are exposed to this passage. And I want to uh, take time to unwrap it a little bit and answer a question. Does God, and we sang about it today, does God really work all things for good? Does he really do that? Uh, you could probably quote the passage to me, maybe the way that you memorized it or something. You know, it goes something like, all things work together for the good of uh, those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, right? This is from the book of Romans, the 8th chapter and the 28th verse. It is a passage that people love. It's a passage that gives people great comfort. But I will also tell you that this passage gives people great pain as well. Because it, like, like many sort of classic passages in the scripture, um, if they're not used sensitively, if they're not um, mentioned in the right way, in the right context, they can be quite damaging. So what does he mean here? You know, what things are all things? Uh, we're in Romans chapter 8, and last week we talked about natural evils. And if you look deeper into chapter 8, you get to this passage, starting at verse 26. Uh, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. To intercede means to go in between. So in between you and God, the author is saying the Holy Spirit intercedes. He makes the connection between you and God and he even helps you to pray and groans through as he intercedes for us. Now, some Bibles will have a break here between uh, verse 27 and 28. My old NIV from the 1980s or whatever has it. Uh, ignore the break if you have a break there. As we've said before, that break is not in the text. It's just put there by the editors to make it easier for you to read. You should know the Bible was not written with chapters and verses and all of these things. I see young people in the room. It's, it's written very uh, difficult to read. You have to know New Testament Greek to read the New Testament, and it's not all pretty and easy to understand and laid out all nicely. When we translate it into English, we take those Greek manuscripts and we put them in nice chapters and verses and sections and titles and all of these things. Sometimes they get in the way. He intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know, verse 28, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Or, in some versions, that all things work together for good to those who love God. Or, that in all things God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good. Verse 29, 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We sing that sometimes too. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it then who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written from the Psalms here, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What things are all things? You know, when you say to someone, all things work together for the good of those who love God or are called, called according to his purpose, or however you want to quote it, you know, God works all things together, whichever version you want to use. Be careful when you use that passage person's child is born with down syndrome you walk into the room oh all things work together for good it's going to hurt that person so they're going to feel really angry when you say that that way got to be really careful with this passage of scripture it's a powerful powerful verse but it can be very painful at the same time because people the the obvious question that comes no matter what version you want to read it in what things all things all things work together God works all things together now hold on here is this only good things if it's only good things then we have no problem with that great God works all these good things you know yesterday at the movie there was a uh, I was greeting people at the door and there was a woman who came to the door, I recognized her right away. It was such an odd coincidence. And uh, I met this woman over a year ago over at uh, Mission Nouvelle Génération. And I was running the, their secondhand store there, and, and she came in and body, you know, filled with cancer and talked with her, didn't know her at the time at all, talked to her. and. And got to talking about God and prayer and so on, just with this person. 
and uh, never saw her again. And it was so unusual. I found myself within the last couple of weeks, I didn't know why, just thinking of this person, wonder if she's alive or not, wonder if she's survived, because she was, she was in a bad way. And here she is at the door yesterday. I said, wow, how are you? I don't even know her name. I can't even remember her name. And, she, you know, we talked just a little bit. And, and it, when you see something like that, and that's a, an encouraging little moment, you say, oh, yeah, all things work together. Look, look at how God is sort of dovetailing those things together. But what about bad things, folks? Does God work only the good? Does God work only the bad? If God works the good and the bad, then does God cause the bad? Does he cause the bad to bring out the good? Does he cause the good to bring out the... And it gets really, really confusing. And then this passage starts digging into other things, doesn't it? Predestination and foreknowledge and all of these things. So base, just a basic question for you. What things are all things? The answer is pretty straightforward when you slow the passage down and look at the context of the passage. It's pretty obvious. But the implications of what all things are are pretty staggering. So the things so far, if you look at the passage, would be at least the things that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us about. Previous verse says that the Spirit intercedes for us. He prays for us when we don't know what to pray for, with groans, the writer says. This would probably imply not easy things. The, the, the things are difficult enough that you need the assistance, the intercession of the Spirit in order to pray. Probably not easy things, probably difficult things. And if you keep reading the passage, the things that God works together can be bad things. In fact, if you look at the weight of the whole passage to the end, to verse 39, the emphasis is that these are not easy things, that these are not particularly good things, that these are bad things. Because what he does is he wants to encourage his audience with the magnitude of what God has done for people before he details what the things are. So after he, he introduces this whole thing, all things work together, God works all things, immediately he jumps into verse 29. And he uses these words that, I mean, each one of them is a message, you know. God foreknew. God predestined. God conformed. God called. God justified. God glorified. Man, that's a lot of really encouraging news. Those whom God foreknew, he predestined. Now, I know what you're thinking. 
we do, do you do you believe in predestination? Do you believe in foreknowledge? What's he teaching here? Do we have free will? Do we not have free will? I'm going to disappoint you a little bit. I don't think that's the point of this passage. I don't think that here he's trying to break these concepts down. What he's trying to do is encourage people. He's trying to tell people, listen, God foreknew you. God predestined you, however you want to define it. You know, do you have free will? I, I hope you believe you have free will. I think you have free will. I just think God knows what your will is before you make your choice. <laughs> you say, well, if God knows my will before I make my choice, and has God determined my choice in advance, is he the one who made me make the choice? And is this some kind of, I leave that with you folks. That's the mysteries for, you know, you can go with Calvin or you can go with Arminius, or if you don't know who those two guys are, just stay right in the middle, folks. It's, to, it's meant to encourage you. Those he foreknew you. You know, Jeremiah talks about how God knew him when he was like a little baby. He, he had a plan for him to be this, this prophet. God foreknew. He predestines. He, he knows who's going to come to him before they come to him. He, somehow in the mystery of his will, he is overall in control. Somehow. How does he do that? How does he do that in a combination of our will and his will, the will of people who love him, the will of people who hate him? I don't know. That's way above a pastor's pay grade, okay? But God, he's trying to encourage people. God, listen, God foreknew you. God predestined you. God is conforming you. God called you. God justified you. God glorified you. I mean, he's trying to encourage, 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 encourage. Don't get lost in the idea of what I have to understand what these terms mean. He's not breaking them down, folks. He's trying to lift people up and to encourage them. You can see these concepts in other letters of Paul, Ephesians. He might spend a little more time on predestination, so on. But here in this passage, what he's trying to do is encourage, encourage, encourage what then shall we say in response to these things? So he's basically saying, listen, if God has done all these things for you, if God has done all of this for you, if God is for you, then who can be against you? And he's going to ask all of these questions, and they're all questions that are hard. They're challenging questions. There are questions that are adversarial. There's something coming against the audience, and he's trying to encourage the audience. Who can be against us, he says? Who will bring any charge against us? Who is he that condemns? Don't you remember? You're, God foreknew you. God predestined you. God conformed you, called you, justified you, glorified you. So you tell me then, audience... Who's going to challenge that? Who's going to bring a charge against you? Who is going to condemn you? Who is going to separate you from the love of God? These are not easy things. The all things that God works together. These are hard things. He's trying to encourage these people and say, God is on your side. He's on your side. He's in your corner. 
He is for you. If there's one simple message you get from the passage, God is for you. You should be so encouraged by this, folks. Whatever you're going through, you're not by yourself. God is for you. He's in your corner. He's like the, he's like the coach of, the, of the, the boxer who's ready to, to fight. He's encouraging that fighter. He is in their corner. He is for you. And he's trying to let these people know you have the best, the best, the best behind you. If God is for you, then question after question after question can be settled. And then he's going to give some really hard things. And he talks about how Jesus died. He talks about how he was raised to life. He talks about how Jesus is interceding for us. Not only is the Holy Spirit interceding for us, but Jesus is interceding for us. You have the Spirit, you have the Son making the way between you and God. God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. And then he's going to give a list. And here's the list. It's a hard list. How about trouble? Verse 35. Shall trouble come against you? Shall hardship come against you? What's trouble? What's hardship? Broad. These are broad words, general definition. Trouble could be so many things. Hardship could be so many things. How about persecution? You make your, make it known that you're a believer and you are persecuted as a result. You're made fun of as a result. You're ostracized as a result. You're ignored as a result. How about famine? In that time, famine is famine, folks. No food. Well, how about you're living in a situation where you're having trouble putting food on the table? How about you're in danger? How about the sword is after you? There's someone against you. There's someone trying to attack you. You are in danger. These are difficult, difficult things, folks. These are not good things. These are hard things. And after he lists this, he pulls a quote from the psalm. We face death all day long. That's a hard thing. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's a hard, hard thing. And then in verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, when you, when you look at the language, the original language that this is written in, and it's easy to do these days, you get a little tool that shows you the, the Greek language. If you look at it, you will notice that the way that he writes this term in verse 37, in all these things, the these things are the, the trouble, the hardship, the persecution, in all these things, these things are the same things that he mentions in verse 28. All things, God works all things, the language is the same there. 
the implication is that in trouble, in hardship, in persecution, and famine, and nakedness, and danger, and sword, those are the things that God is working for your good. Those things. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. You've got God on your side. You've got the Spirit interceding for you. You've got Jesus interceding for you. God is for us. These are hard things, folks. These are difficult things. And this is the point that he's trying to get at. Even those things, even those hardships, even those difficult moments, even those things... God somehow is able to work those things. He's somehow able to take those bad things and work them somehow for your good. He is the best lawyer. He is the best coach. He is the best encourager. He's the best mentor. He is for you. And you are going to make it through your hardship, your trouble, your persecution, your famine, your nakedness, your danger, your sword. He is going to take those things and he's going to work them. Now, you're going to face them whether you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter. This, is, this audience here is a believing audience. He most certainly is not exempting his audience from all these things. He's trying to tell his audience what God is going to do with those things. When they face those things, God is going to take them and God's going to work them. You say, well, how, how is God going to do that? How can God possibly do that? And the best example that I can think of uh, that you should, for homework, read, and we looked a little bit at his life in a, in a series recently, is the life of Joseph from the, the Old Testament in the Bible. This is a really easy story to read. Young people can read it really easy. You want to talk about a real living, breathing example of how God works all things, even these bad things, together somehow for the good. This is a story. You put yourself in that boy's shoes. I mean, he's a teenager. And as a teenager, his brothers gang up on him. True story. Gang up on him. Strip him of a very meaningful gift from his father. Uh, think about killing him throw him down into a pit, leave him for dead, change their mind, pull him out of the pit, and sell him as a slave to a foreign nation. He gets sold into slavery. I mean, and he, this is a young man who's trying to serve God. Imagine what he would say. Wow, this, this serving God thing is really not all it's cracked up to be. Here, my brother is ganged up on me stripped me of my robe that my father gave me, precious gift, threw me down in a pit, left me for dead, and then sold me as a slave. I don't know if I want to serve God. Uh, and then he ends up in, the, in a very wealthy home of a leader in Egypt, 
does really, really well in the home. He's a gifted young man. God, we're told in this story, is with him. Just like Paul says to the Romans, God is for us. He rises to leadership in the home. He's a trusted administrator in the home. Remember what happens to him in the home? The wife of his boss comes on to him. He wants to live for God, rejects her advances, and what is accused of rape and thrown into prison. And he could have said, boy, this God thing, trying to serve God, look what happened to me now. All I was doing was trying to serve God and be faithful to God. And now I'm thrown in this prison and accused of rape. Wow. What, what happens? God is for him in the prison. He does well in the prison. He's trusted in the prison. Becomes a leader in the prison. Meets two, two fellow inmates with two different jobs. A cupbearer and a baker, remember? Tells them what their dreams mean. One of them gets released from prison. The other one is executed by the Pharaoh. Before the one is released from prison, Joseph says to that man, don't you forget me. What happens? He forgets him. <laughs> and Joseph could say, boy, this God thing, this God thing, you know, let's see. I'm a teenager. I get my coat my precious gift from my father, stripped from me, my brothers gang up on me, throw me into a pit, sell me into slavery. I end up, you know, I try, I'm just trying to do the right thing. I'm just trying to serve God. I get accused of rape. I get thrown into prison. And now this fellow inmate forgot about me. I'm languishing in this prison. Two years pass. Pharaoh has a dream. Inmate who got out of prison says to the Pharaoh, oh, well, my memory, memory is starting to come back now. I remember this guy in prison. He could interpret dreams. Pharaoh says, get him over here now. Interprets Pharaoh's dreams and predicts a, it's a devastating prediction of famine that will follow years of plenty. So he comes up with an ingenious insurance plan, saves all this grain, takes a percentage of all this grain in the years of plenty, and then the famine hits, and it hits really, really hard. And guess who comes back into his life? His brothers who left him for dead and threw him in a pit, his family is starving. Shall famine separate us? Shall nakedness, persecution, danger, sword? Joseph went through all of these things. Lo and behold, his family comes right back to him, begging for survival. He recognizes them as a particular way of going about dealing with his brother's gets them into a pickle, into a real quandary. And then he can't, he can't bear it anymore. He reveals his identity to his brothers. He's alive. His father learns that he's alive. And you see at the end of the story, there's a 
glorious reunion of this family. There's forgiveness. There's reconciliation. There's salvation. And he says these words, you meant it to harm me. You intended it for trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. You did this to me, my brothers. You intended it. Your free will did this to me. You did this. But God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives. It has to be the perfect illustration of the Romans text. God is able somehow to take these kinds of circumstances and he's able to move them around, shift them, slide them. I can't explain how it happens. Even as you read the Genesis narrative there, nobody is a robot in this story. But God is overseeing the whole thing. And he puts the whole thing into a place where there's thousands upon thousands of people's lives who were saved. And a beautiful story of reconciliation in this family. Now, if God can do it in that story, if God can work that trouble, persecution, hardship, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, all of those things, folks, he can surely do it in your life. I don't know how he will do it. I don't know when. I don't know how long it will take. I don't know the details of your situation. But God is for you. God is on your side. Listen, you've got Jesus and the Holy Spirit interceding for you. you got, you've got friends in high places, folks. You're a follower of Jesus. You've got friends in high places. Now, you can choose to go through your problems by yourself. Go ahead. If, if you want to do that, go, go ahead. I, I could make a joke here and say God predestined you to do it yourself if you choose to do it yourself. Yeah, some people are listening. But why would you do that, folks? Wouldn't you want to go through your difficult moments with God on your side, in the person of Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit. I know of no other passage in the Bible where the Son and the Spirit are mentioned together as intercessors for the believer. Whew. I mean, Paul really wanted to encourage his audience. He really, really knew what was going on in their lives, and he really wanted to encourage them. Folks, you can walk through these kinds of situations with God for you. Wouldn't you want that? Would you stand with me, please? I'd like the musicians to come, and we're going to finish up and let them, let them play as, as much as they want. Um, but, folks, it's, it's such a simple, simple truth today. If you want to, to apply it to your life as we pray I want you to think of your hardest, hardest, hardest thing that you are facing. There's degrees, you know, in your life. You probably have a, you, you could probably gauge it. You could probably say, well, this problem over here on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, 1 being the 
easy and 10 being really, really hard. You know, this is number one over here. This one, it may work itself out. Maybe I don't even need to follow Jesus to see this problem here at the one scale workout. And you start working your way up, and then you get into six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And you're like, if there's no God, if God doesn't intervene, then this will never, ever change. This will never, ever be fixed. Those are the problems, folks, that I want you to think of as we're praying here. And I want you to think of bringing those things to God as God was with Joseph in a, in a pit, a, a falsely accused, in a prison, forgotten, alienated, isolated. As he was there, God was working. And God is working in your situation. I want you to just, just close your eyes and bring that 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 to God. Raise your hands if you want to. Uh, Lord, we bring you those things. Those are the all things. And we bring them to you, Lord, and we ask that you would work them. We ask that you would move mountains. We ask that you would change people's decisions, hearts. We ask that the sovereign God who calls and conforms and predestines and glorifies and foreknows us and the sovereign God would work even these things that are at six, seven, eight, nine, ten off the scale, would work those things, Lord, our physical illnesses and diseases. There's a woman in our church and her father was just diagnosed with cancer just this week. Lord, you can work somehow these situations. They're impossible for us. They're impossible for our understanding, but you can work them, Lord. And so we just ask that you would do that. We ask that you would encourage us that the intercession of the Spirit, the intercession of Jesus would comfort us, Lord, and would enable us to keep on walking through these trials and hardships and situations and difficulties, knowing that we are not alone and that you are with us today. Lord, uh, would you move in people's lives? We pray together in the name of our Savior, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Lead us, Simon. God bless you today. I'll be floating around at the front. If you're visiting, come and see me. You want to get baptized, come and see me. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone. Still make mistakes.
I know 